we are live hello hello welcome everybody welcome this is very exciting we're here once again welcome to strong tea i'm katie i'm vicky she nearly forgot a cue then and we're joined today uh, by the lovely lovely vic kleinsman and i'm going to uh let vicky introduce her properly shortly but first off, let me tell you about Strong Tea. Now, if this is the first time you're tuning in to us, Strong Tea is a podcast which talks about difficult to talk about topics. It's things which are slightly taboo, things that people shy away from because it might be awkward. Um, and But there are things that we really should be talking about in more detail. We should be normalising conversations and, you know, putting things out there. So without further ado, what we do on every single podcast we do... That it's it's a key feature, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it is key. And we're going to talk about what we're drinking. So, Vic, as our guest, what are you drinking today? Strawberry and kiwi tea. <gasps> Ooh, it's a Pickwick Pickwick one. But I need to try your brand of tea. I desperately would love to try your brand. Is oh, this the Bird and Blend? Bird and Blend. Yes. Yeah. Mm, yes mm, our wonderful good... wonderful friends at bird and blend have sent us some super yummy teas and i believe we're both drinking them today aren't we vicky we are but the strawberry and kiwi i'm i'm really interested in that what, what's <laughs> the, sorry <laughs> like shut, shut up katie i want to talk more about this tea. <laughs> um what does it taste like stupid question <laughs> that is the most funniest question i've ever been asked it ta- it's fruity yeah the strawberry doesn't overpower the kiwi, which I'm not sure how they've managed to do that. That's quite clever, but I recommend it. It's pick, Pickwick. Strawberry I've never heard of Pickwick. No, I haven't. Oh, it might be a Dutch brand then. Okay. Ooh. We oh, can we, get you European. Yeah, we, I was going to say we might have to get you to send some, but would it get through border control? No. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'll send you some. Oh, of course sweet. I will. We'll send you some bird and blend as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Swap oh, pleasure doing business. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Vicky, do you want to tell us what you're drinking? I do. I'm following on from Vic's tradition. I've got Bird and Blend strawberry lemonade. And it was one that you gave me, Katie. And how good is it? I haven't tasted it yet. Get it down. Yeah, let's have a, a live a live. Burnt my lip, burnt my lip. Um yeah. I wouldn't say strawberry lemonade, but it's definitely strawberry. Nice. Yeah, very nice. I mean, without the bubbles, it's hard to decipher it, isn't it, I guess? But yeah, yeah. What yeah, about you? I am, well, I've gone for a, a different one. So um, I've, I've gone for Bird and Blend, but they have some traditional teas, shall we say. And so I've gone for one of those today and I've gone for an Earl Grey creme. So it's mm-hmm. Earl Grey tea, but with a hint of vanilla. Oh, mm, I know, and I'm not really a big fan of Earl Grey, no. but it is nice because it's sort of slightly sort of floatier flavour. Floaty? I have floaty. never heard a tea described as floaty. Wow. Only when you dunk a biscuit in it and it all falls apart. Oh no, no, you've got to have something more um, solid if you're going to dunk, so that it doesn't come apart. A jammy dodger. Well, maybe agree to disagree. Bourbon. Bourbon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll I'm just the whole chocolate bar, to be honest. Oh, what a legend! Yeah, yeah. With your what's way. your what's your preference of chocolate bar dipped in tea? Well, if we're talking English chocolate bars, in fact, they they do this in England now. Have you seen the brand Tony's chocolate? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Right. So the the one with the orange wrapper, which is salted caramel, mm. that is my most favorite one. And I don't say I wouldn't dip it in, but I take a piece hold it in my mouth, take a sip of tea. Mm. No one talk to me, bliss. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really important, that part. That's the most important part. <laughs> Your moment of zen. <laughs> exactly, yes. So go. If no one's tra- tried it, then seriously, you're welcome. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to get that. Yeah, I know, it sounds like we've got to go on a little shopping trip, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Well, Christmas is coming. It is. Right, I am so lucky to be the one to introduce our guest today. So Victoria Kleinsman is an incredible coach. We know this because she did us a little mini coaching session and it was just amazing. And Vic provides food freedom and body love counselling. She's also a podcaster and basically an all-round fantastic human being. Uh, Vic, in her own words, has been through some tough shit 
and has faced challenges that's meant heartbreak, fear, adversity, and just incredible growth. In our pre-chat, I think Katie and myself, we we laughed, we cried, we were left open mouth. Um, Vic is truly inspirational, and we are so lucky that she's joined our Strong Tea family. Um, today's topic is going to be a tough one to listen to. Vic will be telling us about her horrific experiences of domestic abuse. So a trigger warning now that this episode will contain details of violence, uh, rape, depression and emotive content. But Vic, thank you so much for coming on to this episode. And please, dude, tell us your story. Well, I feel emotional hearing you say that with such love. So thank you. And it's just reminded me how far I really have come. So thank you for that. So my story then in a chocolate nutshell, because who doesn't love chocolate is Mm. I started dieting. So diet is a part of this story. So I'll start there. So I started dieting from the age of nine and developed anorexia nervosa at the age of 13 until the age of 18. When I was 19, I met the abusive relationship man and I was in that relationship for six years. During that time, I developed binge eating disorder when I left that relationship, which of course we're going to go into detail in this episode, which I can bring humor into it. It's like an episode of Coronation Street, so get ready. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I developed bulimia because I found the gym. I became obsessed with fitness, had so much praise for my lean body. I was doing some fitness modeling. And then the anorexia merged with with the binge eating disorder. And then I was diagnosed with bulimia. So I would, I would binge, starve, purge, cycle until I was 30. And that is, as we're recording this, only five years ago. I then met my now fiancé, Bauta, in Egypt on holiday. He flew to England every month, every weekend, sorry, for three months after the holiday. I, I came here to see what it was like in the Netherlands and I loved it. And here I am. And so that's when my healing journey started. So I did hit rock bottom, like before I waved the surrendered white flag and was like, please help me because I hadn't sorted out all the stuff that had happened to me with the abuse and all of that, which we're going to go into. And I started my healing journey, hired a coach, invested in myself, studied psychology, became certified in that, in coaching and nutrition. And since then, I've just continued to improve with personal development spiritual development and then I help women now to to love themselves and to heal their relationship with food so that's my long story in a short chocolate nutshell it's lovely and I I love the way that we know that there's a happy ending coming because obviously there has been an absolute roller coaster that you've been on um so let's let's go back um if you're ready to 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 kind of talk about what were your first signs that things weren't right um, in your relationship? Well, I met him when I was 19. So I was pretty young still, really. I wasn't like a full adult per se. So I was very, I was very impressed by his money. He had a lot of money. He was a lot older than me. He was 34 at the time when I met him. And the relationship didn't even start in a quote, normal way. I mean, what, what does normal even mean? He was very charming and there was this secretive sense about him, which I found attractive though. So I'd never really knew what he actually did. I didn't even know where all his money was from. He was very secretive and he would he would just say things like, oh, I'll pick you up and we'll go to London and we'll go for the day and we'll you can buy whatever you want. And it's just my treat. And so whenever I asked, like, you know, tried to find out about his life, he very kind of wittingly just changed the subject without making it really obvious. So that I guess if I was to look back now, those were the first signs that's he's not being honest because he's not being open and, and honest about who he is. In terms of the violence, the first time it happened, it would have been, I would say, eight weeks into the relationship. So not that long in, really. Um, we was at the stables, so I had a horse at the time. And I was checking on my horse at night after we'd been somewhere. And so no one else was there. And so we went into the stables and my phone made a noise. And then he just happened to see, because I think it was like side up on the side of the stable door or whatever. And it was my ex messaging me, just saying, how are you with a question mark? And I'd never seen him 
act angry before or violent before and obviously it's not nice to have some an ex message like in any relationship but he just absolutely just flew off the wall got me up got me around the throat up against the stable wall and was like threatening me like why is he messaging you what's going on you need to tell like all these threats and I was kind of like obviously what the hell is happening he got off me and I reacted in a healthy way. I said, you know, don't you ever touch me again? How dare you? We're done. You don't do that to people. It was like a very normal, healthy reaction to being assaulted. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a bit of shock. I wasn't, I guess I was scared, but I wasn't, I was quite confident in like, no, that doesn't happen. And then he started crying quite hysterically and I'd never seen him upset before. And it turned into, please help me. I do have an anger problem. I've hid it from you. I really need help. I'm so sorry. All of this, like, I love you so much. And then I felt sorry for him. And because I thought I loved him, I wanted to help him. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can help him there. Maybe it was just a one-off. Maybe he does need help. If I can help him, who am I to just abandon him when someone needs help? Because he's obviously sorry. Although it did shake me up a bit because I've never had anything like that done to me before and so fast forward like a couple of weeks he said he got help like he he was reaching out to like anger management courses so I saw the action I'm doing air quotes here he told me he was taking action I didn't really see any evidence of like where apparently he'd been on courses or anything like that but he told me he was getting help and so I just trusted that and it didn't happen again for another few weeks and then over time it just became more and more frequent and then afterwards he would be crying and I'd feel sorry for him again and it just became this like pattern that became normal to me it became very normal very quickly and looking back that really surprised me actually because The immediate reaction I had was absolutely no, this is not happening to me. You don't treat people like that. To feeling sorry for him, to helping him, to almost just accepting that that was how he treated me. Now, I thought that I had low self-worth from the relationship that I'd experienced, but clearly looking back and through therapy, et cetera, I had no self-worth because I accepted that relationship as okay, so part of my self-worth self-esteem was extremely low for me to even accept and to even stay Mm. in that relationship especially when it kept nothing was getting better in fact it was getting worse and then when we moved away so like it didn't move away like he's in hours away from my home but we got our own house apartment should I say and that's when the violence really started because I wasn't really close to my mom or dad then he did this thing where my mom, me and my mom have been very close. We was actually, we've been in a codependent relationship, not now, but I didn't realize it since I was young. And that has a lot to do with my story as well. And so she was very much involved in my life. He hated that because he knew that she was a threat to our relationship. If she knew what was going on, she was also a police officer as well wow it was my dad he was a detective sergeant of the fraud squad so this will this comes into the story as well but he thought my mum was an absolute threat because she he knew how close I was to her and how much she could have an influence on our relationship and I would love to talk about this because what happened was he wrote a letter to I thought it was from my mum so it was it was typed it wasn't written it was a letter that was written to me from my mom basically saying she didn't want to see me again I believe this is the thing I don't understand looking back and I'd love to talk about this I believed him and like cut my mom off and didn't even give my mom chance to explain that that wasn't even her that was writing that letter and so he he managed to successfully break the bond between me and mom I had my sister's wedding I wasn't allowed to go to that because my ex-boyfriend the one who messaged me was also going to be at the wedding so I wasn't allowed to go there I didn't go to my sister's wedding which was obviously a huge huge regret that I've that I've had like I've carried from since then but it happens gradually so I'm like I am jumping around a bit here it wasn't like a few weeks in he hit me and then I then I felt sorry for him and then a few weeks in he did it again and then I didn't go to my sister's wedding like the mind control that they have over you and gradually like I stopped working 
So I had a job that I loved. I was working with horses at a, at a charity called the Blue Cross and he would come into work and cause trouble. And I got given, they knew it wasn't me, but they had to give me warnings to protect the other staff that you can't have someone coming in when it's a charity and when we're open to the public and when you're working. So they had to let me go because of what he was doing and kept coming into my work. And so then I stopped working and then gradually stopped working. My friend stopped asking me to do stuff. Cut off the ties with my mom. My dad had already like dumped my stuff on the front lawn and said, I'm done with you, like have a nice life. So then you become isolated. Well, that's exactly where he wanted me to be because I relied fully on him for everything, for money, for for food. Mm. I tried to diet throughout the time being with him. Like, um, And he would say things like, if you don't eat the food I eat, then you'll just starve to death. We had three takeaways a day, every day. God. Gosh. Right? So, I mean, gosh, what else? He would lock me in his office. He had a window tinting company to hide what was really going on that I still don't actually know at one point someone stole his car and you know like on the movies where they find the person who's done it and then you take them into like a garage and tie them up for days like he literally did that with this person I told the police all of this but they couldn't have the proof and all of that and so he had this man hostage and I didn't thankfully see or have anything to do with it but I knew I heard him on the phone etc and they tortured this guy and then like dropped him in the in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere naked like in like a fucking movie oh my god oh my days so he'd lock me in the office, take my phone. I, I broke my ankle at one point when I was riding a horse. And so I was on, I remember being on my crutches at the garage where he would tint windows, which is where we spent most of our time. He had gone, he'd locked me in there. I slipped on, my crutches slipped on a piece of window film, like, and I fell and I couldn't get up. And I was like lying there, like until he came back, like hours later, just crying on the floor. Like, what's life? did you at this point like you know you talk about these things happening gradually and he sounds like a master manipulator like 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 he was incredibly skilled at what he was doing did you think to yourself at times because I know when people have been in bad relationships and they think I shouldn't be here but I don't know how to leave did you feel like that or did you just keep thinking no it might get better it might you know what was your mindset when this was happening at the beginning, I'll say for the first year, I had the illusion of it will get better because obviously there was parts of the relationship that was, I say, really happy. I mean, was it truly? But they, you know, they, at the beginning, especially, I thought I loved him. He was very funny, very charming, and he was good to be around for the most part. So they were, you know... Um, it, obviously we're talking about the, the most awful parts of the relationship of course we are and then they got more and more frequent throughout the relationship but they were parts that were really good and I think reflecting back for some reason I wanted to be taken care of so he had the money to quote take care of me he was an older man the symbol of that is being taken care of and so I stayed because I thought delusionally I was being taken care of I didn't have to work although I didn't want to leave, I was kind of forced to leave. I thought that this was a life, I think I was lying to myself, telling myself that if it did get better, which he kept promising, this could be a really good life. But then over time, within over, after a year, the things he had done, I hated him. I hate, like, and I say the word now, you can hear me say it, hate was not even a strong enough word yet. I was so scared of, him number one like actually physically scared for my life and number two the biggest fear was well what who am I like now everyone's just disowned me who am I if I'm not in that relationship that was scarier the complete unknown did you find yourself at a point where he'd done something so bad that you were like this is it I can't like was there a rock bottom where you suddenly had a light bulb moment or did it just sort of gradually sort of work its way into your brain that you were like, no, this isn't right. Or was there one moment where you thought, actually, no, I can't do this anymore. 
there was one moment in particular and I didn't do anything about it but I'll tell you the story what happened so we went on holiday to Wales so it was we just drove there his brother and his brother's wife came with us whenever there was people around I felt safer for obvious reasons Anyway, I needed the toilet. We He stopped at this campsite. I went to the toilet and he went to the toilet as well. And he saw the sign. You know, sometimes in women's toilets, there's a sign saying a male cleaner is cleaning this toilet. Mm-hmm. He saw that sign. So I came back into the car. His, his brother and his wife were in the back seat. He was in the driver's seat. I got in. And then he said, oh, I bet you loved that, didn't you? And I was like, love what? Going to the toilet? Like a don't know what you're talking about. Oh, there's a male cleaner in there. Apparently I'm a slag, I'm a hoe because I went to the toilet and there was a male cleaner sign in there. And then because I felt quite confident and he was obviously being ridiculous and his brother and wife were in the back, I back, I mouthed back at him, which I never normally did because I thought, well, he's not going to do anything because they're in the back. Well, I mouthed back at him and he just literally thumped me right across my face they said nothing. And that is when my heart broke into pieces for like humanity. Like I just, I felt, God, what did I feel? I mean, the physical pain I knew anyway, that was, wasn't was nothing new. I was, my heart was broken because nobody helped me. Oh my God. And it was his own brother and his wife and they knew what he was like. And they'd just seen, he'd literally hit me around the face, like dumped me full on. My face was, you know, already starting to like swell up. And I just thought, nobody's going to help me. Nobody. Like, and I just felt hopeless. And then that night when we stayed in this hotel, I fought back and I didn't, didn't normally fight back. And we was above a hotel. So, so above a pub. So the pub was like above a hotel. And I was screaming so loud, like it, like I was, like it was again a movie and the reason I was screaming when I was I was just wanting someone to come and help, I wanted someone to open the door and just be like, it's okay, I've got you. I will help you. And nobody came. And I I I think I hurt him at that point. Like I scratched his face. Like I just, it was the most violent fight I'd ever had. And I was doing it to for someone to help me, and nobody came. And then the next morning people heard you couldn't not hear and I remember us walking out out and checking out and then people were looking as if like oh you know that was the noise last night and I just remember thinking there's nobody coming to help me and I wanted to leave at that point but then the fear of there's nobody there anyway I may as well stay where I am and I just had no self-worth no self-esteem and so that was the point where I wanted to leave, but I didn't know how. Mm. I just felt so alone, but at least I had him. That's heartbreaking. That is truly heartbreaking. Had you um, had the relationship with your mum? Was it still broken at that point? Well, I thought it had, but intu- this is what saved my life, right? Intuitively, I I knew that my mum, well, I knew the letter, I believe this letter that he wrote to me, that my mum had cut all ties. And I had this like longing in my heart, like a mother's love between the, the child. I mean, I'm not a mother, but I've seen it and I feel it with my own mum. Can't just be broken like that. And so that just allowed me to just wonder. So I didn't know I just wondered if my mum would like still want me because he made me feel where everything was my fault. So over the years, like when he was violent, it was my fault though. So if he hit me, it was because I had done this or so I felt like everything was my fault. So then I would question like, will my mum even still want me? Because as like you keep, don't forget, like over time, my self-esteem was just on the floor. I had nobody to talk to. This abusive cave was just all I'd known. I couldn't even go to the shop by myself and buy tampons. He had to come with me because I couldn't be anywhere by myself because he was so controlling. Mm -hmm. And then just, I don't want to miss this out, Katie, what you said in terms of him being a master manipulator. When this all ended, which we'll get to, my dad 
want, went to speak to him because this guy wanted still to try to get me back after it all and wanted to speak to my dad, who was detective sergeant of the fraud squad for many years. My dad met with him for 15 minutes. My dad came back and said to me, Vic, how are you still sane? Because he had me feeling fucking sorry for him. My own daughter has been beaten, raped and abused by this guy for six years. And I felt sorry for him. How are you even sane? And I was like, dad, I'm not. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm i not sane. And I think I just looked strong because I'd left, but I was just so broken inside. But then what my dad did say then, it made me think maybe I'm stronger than I think. Because yeah. I'm still here. I'm not in a in mental institution. I mean, I felt like I needed to be or something. But to him, for, to have my dad feeling sorry for his daughter's abuser helped me in a way mm. because it, at least it wasn't just me. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when people, when they hear about women staying in abusive relationships, it's like, well, why didn't they just leave? Why didn't mm. they just go? And what you're saying is exactly why, because these people are predators, they are manipulators, they cause such psychological and mental and emotional damage that they create this false dependency. And That's it's absolutely you, it. You can't, you can't just leave. It's dangerous for a start, as you're saying. I thought exactly the same, Vicky. Before I'd experienced this myself. I would, you know, you'd, you hear about these things. Both my parents were in the police, like you hear about these things. I would just say, why don't they just leave then? Like, you know, probably lacking compassion. Like, well, why don't they just leave? Well, when you're, when you feel so dependent of this person and when you think there's nothing out there for you and you're scared of your life and you have no self-esteem, that's why you can't leave. He had a gun like this. I hid a gun in the fucking woods at one point. I could have got 10, 10 years, 10 years in prison for holding firearms. I didn't even know that until, you know, I shared my story. But I would literally do anything. I mean, I would never hurt anybody. I'd rather die than do that. But anything he asked me to do, I would do it. Sexual things that I didn't want to do, I would just just do it. And then after, after we had fights and he would hit me and he'd be, oh, I'm sorry, again. He would then want to have sex with me. It was the last, I would rather have died. So I literally just used to just lie there like an actual dead corpse, just completely leave my body and just let him do what he wanted and then just feel disgusting. Ugh. I, I honestly, I, I'm listening and I'm, I'm just so welled up because I can hear the fear that you had in your voice when you talked about how, you didn't think anyone was going to help you and you felt so completely alone. Um, I, I I need to know how, how you got out of this because I'm sure there might be women or, or men listening to this who are in abusive relationships that need to know there's hope. How, how did it come to an end? It was my intuition and I tell you exactly what I heard my own voice and my own head say out loud. It said... Vic, what the fuck are you doing with your life? And I couldn't answer. And it got to the point where, honestly, I didn't care if I died. Dying was better than this. It it got to the point where, and you, and you know, six years, it's a long time, but at the same time, it's not because so many women are staying for a lot longer than that. Thankfully for me, it only took six years for me to... I guess rock bottom, I would either, this is a choice, die or just try to leave because I am no longer willing to live like this anymore. Nothing specifically happened. It was just, in fact, I guess there was a, a positive trigger in a way. His daughter was going out. His daughter wasn't that much younger than me. And she came around the house and then she was going out with her friends. And I should, I was 24. I should have been going out with my friends and I had nothing. I hated myself. I hated my body. I hated him. I hated my life. Before I met him, I was such a positive person, albeit I had eating disorders and all of that. I was just happy in general. I was so unhappy 
I would rather have chosen, I would rather have chosen death. And it got to that point where I was like, literally, what's the worst that can happen? I'll die. Gonna take the chance. And then something happened in my energy he that he felt. So what something happened well that night when I made that decision. His his son was staying with us and he he wouldn't stay in bed. He was only six. He had a lot of different babies with a lot of different women. And he was only six and he kept coming downstairs and not going to bed. And so the guy who I was with said, if if you get downstairs one more time, I'm going to turn your TV off. Anyway, he must have came down about 20, 30 times. The TV was still on. So this last time, something inside me just snapped and I just went upstairs, took the plug out the TV and then walked back downstairs. And then I said to him, I'm leaving. And then he he didn't act with violence. He didn't act with anger. And then I was like whoa wait a minute and I felt this like power within me somehow and then I didn't say anything else apart from like he, he said yo you don't mean that and he tried to be really nice to me and then I was just very quiet and then I was just kind of like what just happened and then I made the decision there and then I was like right I'm actually doing it but I'm not going to tell him I'm doing it so then I messaged my mom who didn't, who I had to lock myself in the bathroom. He had a screwdriver who used to unlock the door from the outside. What was I doing? I mean, for God's sake, I'm allowed to go to the bathroom. No, clearly wasn't allowed to do that either. So I managed to like message my mom and like have to delete the messages from my own mom. <laughs> it's like I'm cheating on him with my own mom, just literally trying to speak to my mom. And I said, I know you don't believe me. I hope you still like love me and want me. And then when she replied saying, of course I do, I'll never stop loving you. That knowing that she loved me and still wanted me and wanted to help me, that was all I needed. Knowing that she loved me and she was doing willing and ready to do anything to help me, that was literally all I needed to make this decision. So within a week, because I took my clothes slowly upstairs to the attic and put them in bags ready. And we found we chose a day and a time. It was going to be a Monday morning when he took his kid to school, which wasn't far away, around the corner, but he'd always drive. And so it became this like um what when police like plan things from like start to finish like we were doing that and I was like right this time he went to school she came round no word of a lie we're getting everything from upstairs he comes back because he forgets something you couldn't write this shit he literally came back to the house (laughs) I mean I'm laughing because it's like I remember how I feel at the time because I had my mum with me which was meant everything to me and then he came back and he was like thinking, he was like, what the fuck's going on? And like, we're literally getting all my stuff and and taking everything we can around the house. Mum's looking for money because there was like 40 grand worth of cash under the floorboards at one point. Oh, my goodness. Explain that. And so he then started crying. I'm so sorry. And then my mum was like, well, I'm surprised she didn't kill him, to be honest, as you can imagine, like shouting, being abusive. And I said, mum, just leave it. We left changed my number got a restraining order um didn't see him again (laughs) wow whoa so I mean my body's shake you know like you you, my body's shaking now because I remember like I mean from speaking anyway like the trauma I mean I'm not traumatized anymore I've spoke about it enough but your body doesn't forget and so you my body's remembering like the abuse but then now it's like remembering that because excitement feels the same as fear the adrenaline isn't it yeah the adrenaline so I have adrenaline now like remembering like that was the time I chose to either die or change my life Mm -hmm. and I had my mum to support me and not everyone has that this is the thing that I would love to talk about as well because not everyone has that would I have left if it wasn't for my mum yes because I would rather have died but not everyone has that support on the other side I did and so that literally my mum's love saved my life really I think you're right because there's a lot of situations where they've manipulated it so much that they've moved away or even to another country where yeah person being abused is completely isolated there is absolutely nothing that they can do yeah or feel that they can do yes because I think there is support out there there is support out there because I'd love to talk about halfway through the relationship, I left and then came back. Mm, tell us about that. Because again, 
what the hell is she going back for? Like, and, you know, I asked myself the same question. So halfway through the race, this was a three years in, this was how I knew about all the money and stuff he had. So at this time, he when he hit me and stuff, he wouldn't usually hit my face because when we did go out into the world, people could obviously then see that. So he was, again, very clever man, like, and I, you know, and I talk, I'm talking about him like he's a monster and he was, but at the same time, he was so damaged and he needed, he needed help, hurt people, hurt people. And so that was his responsibility to get help. Like his actions were absolutely not okay and will never, never will be okay. But there's a reason why he was such a violent man. People aren't born this way. You know, he's had a lot of shit in his life, but it's it's his responsibility to have changed that. And so when I say he was very clever with the abuse, he was, but there's there's more behind it than what we know. But either way, his actions weren't okay. So this time though, what happened was he went to my dad's house to pick something up. My dad had disowned me, but I still had this key and I needed some, I can't remember what it was. It was something from my bedroom that from ages ago and he said he'd get it. So he went into my bedroom and got this thing and then saw a tin of really old photos. So this was before camera phones, like these photos were taken, hence they were like printed. And they were just photos of me like growing up, like 11, 12, 13 years old. There was a few of me with boys and that was it. So he, when he came home and he came up the stairs, the apartment, I knew I could just, I, I just was a, a, like, I just knew his energy. The second he would come from anywhere, I'd be sat there thinking, oh God, what mood is he going to be in? And then we walked up the stairs and I was like, oh no. And then the fear's there. Anyway, he, then he, he gets the plate that I'm eating off and throws it against the wall. And it's the whole th- same story. This I'm a slag, I'm a slut because I've got photos of myself with a boy when I'm like 12 years old. Like, so he went absolutely crazy. At one point he strangled me and I passed out, but I felt like warm and I felt warm and cozy. Like I'm not saying I had a life near life death, ex- like a, a death experience, but I've not been strangled and passed out before, but he did because he was strangling me. And I remember him saying, poor little Vicky, poor little Vicky. That's what he kept saying, which is why I like to be called Victoria now or Vic. Nothing wrong with the name Vicky, by the way, but that right. just links to that. And I passed out and I remember feeling like all warm and cozy and like loved. And then I came round again and then I just, my mind, had, I just completely left my body like emotionally and then the, the the abuse happened, the hit the hitting me and throwing me around the apartment and all of that. And because he'd got my face quite bad, which he regretted, of course he's sorry every time. Afterwards, oh I'm so sorry. Let me look at you. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then and then he locked me in the house. And I know you have a question, Katie. So before I go into like, because it's quite a bit of a long story after that. So do you want to ask something before I continue just just with reference to what you were saying there in terms of when he would apologize and I know that's it's a hallmark isn't it of abusers they they apologize and you know big gestures of you know forgiveness and I'm so sorry and it'll never happen again do you actually believe that was just another manipulation tactic or do you believe because he was so damaged that he genuinely meant it uh, and I'm not excusing anything he did. Please mm. don't think that's where this question comes from. But I just wonder when people do that, if they do believe that they're sorry. Or if they just say it. I think he meant it, you know. Yeah. I think he meant it. But then the action he would take when he was sorry, for example, basically the rape didn't line up either. So he was a very, very disturbed, mentally disturbed man. He would inject steroids and not go to the gym. He would take all these depression and anxiety drugs some days and not other days. And so he was all over the place in every regard. And I felt responsible to try and get him to take his medicine. So at least he was a bit calmer when he took the right tablets. And he was just, I mean, I feel sorry for him. Sounds like a massive power shift as well. It's almost, he abused you, he said sorry, maybe meant it, but then automatically thought, oh, right, yeah, no, that's showing weakness, let's 
ramp it up again and then the abuse afterwards as well so it's and that's got a mess that does mess with your mind that power shift of oh okay maybe he is sorry but then he's going to take that away again and it's I, I just yeah oh God. that makes so much sense you know Vicky as you're saying that and he everyone around him was scared of him so like when we would go to his window tinting place which he did do some cars but it was just to cover up what he actually did everyone around him was scared of him and it would oh my god he would do this these things which was so embarrassing it's not a strong enough word word so we'd be driving a lot so we'd drive around a lot. he had this big range rover and if anyone made a bit of a driving mistake like perhaps pulled out in front of him or perhaps forgot to indicate them was like oh i'm sorry in the mirror he would literally get this far away from their bumper chase them for like half an hour and like literally follow even if they were old men poor oh old men i would literally i was Oh, it was awful because I felt so powerless to also help this person who is now road raging. The amount of times people have got out of the cars and they've started to like physically fight if it, if it's another man that's also it was so embarrassing, is not the strong enough word, but that he just had so much anger in him with everybody, everything, even the dog. Oh. And I swear to God, he hung my dog out the window at one point. And because he, he I didn't react and I had a little poodle bless her heart she's still alive she's with my nice ex in England and she's she if someone swears she's shaken by the door because she's traumatized I didn't react I I started to think right if I just don't react to anything and just like leave my body and just be dead practically the abuse is less but he didn't like that because he wanted a reaction and so when I started to just be able to just leave my body almost to get a reaction, he would hold my dog out the window and literally say, I'm going to drop her. And he probably would. And you can imagine if anyone, she was my lifeline. She was the only, her and food was the only thing I had to just help me, I don't know what, to stop me going insane, God knows what, to connect to love mm. at some point. And so when he held her out the window, well, I'm surprised I didn't get done for murder. Well, I wish, well, I know I don't wish I'd murdered him. I take that back. But there's a way to get someone to react, right? And my dog, the innocent dog, I mean, she's okay. Oh, what a man. And then I felt guilty for the dog and what she had to experience and all of it. It's just the whole situation. Oh, I was sharing that. I left, didn't I? Right. So he, so that time that he had left marks all on my face. He locked me in, it was a, it was an apartment, so I couldn't get out the window because we were too high up and then I couldn't get out the door. And so he'd take my phone, lock the door, and on the third day, he was on the phone and he forgot to lock the door. So he took, I didn't have my phone or anything, so he was on the phone, he went out, didn't lock the door, drove off, and I sat there and I was like, this is it. If I'm going to leave, I've got to do it now. And I, I was literally like, right, so I took my little dog, and then I knew he he always used to go into the floorboards and I never saw what he did. So I took the opportunity to have a quick look and there was like 40 grand in cash. Well, it said 40K on the, and I didn't count it. In, and I was like, shall I take that? And I was like, no, because he'd probably kill me. Also. So I left that, went out the door, ran, this is a place called Repton in Derby, this really nice little village, ran down the street. And the first thing I came to was a hairdresser's. So I went into the hairdressers. God knows what I bloody looked like. The poor woman who thought, you know, like, I'm coming in the hairdressers, like, absolutely, with this little dog with God knows what I looked like and used the phone to call the police, rang the police. They came. My mum was on holiday. My dad was on holiday. They were broken up, but my dad stayed where he was. My mum came back. And I left for about a month. And then he got took to court. He pleaded guilty for battering me. He got a suspended sentence because I had to have all the pictures taken at the police station and all of that. Got a suspended sentence then the first time. Then he would follow me in the bushes at the stables. He would literally follow me. And I would say to him, I know it's you and I'm going to call the police if you come near me. Anyway, I don't know if he believed I would or if, if he knew I wouldn't. But then one day he like came out the bushes and was like, I've got help. I've been to an anger management course. I've got the certificate to prove it. Shows me this bullshit certificate that he'd done this anger management course. I believed everything he said. I don't know. Like, I'm so embarrassed to even share this. 
I believed that he had genuinely got help this time. And so he, he promised me, you can see your family, you can see your friends, like I've got help, like you can do anything you want and we can have, you can have it like you wanted it. And I believed him. And at the beginning it was, I did, I'm obviously my mom hated me for going, not hated me, but she hated the fact I was back with him, obviously. I did see my friends and family and him. But then gradually when I moved back in with him again, it just gradually goes back to what you already know. Mm. And I'd say that the reason I went back, knowing what I know now from all the therapy and all of that, abuse was my comfort zone. And so this is a big, big, big part of why women don't leave situations or why anyone doesn't. I I'd left, I was, re- I was happy. I started to get my life back on track. And even though I was happy and I left and that's what I wanted, my comfort zone was abuse. My unconscious mind was like, no, 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 you need to go back to what you know, because that's safer. Yeah. Because now you've got to get a job and what if this and what if, and it was like, okay, I'll just go back to the abuse because at least I know that, which makes no sense. But until you've experienced that, Mm. the fear of the unknown is the biggest fear that us humans have. Mm. So then I went back. I think um, like in terms of what you experienced and you talked about there, how your dog and food was just purely what you felt like you were living for at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the amount of work that you must have had to have done since that point must have been so extensive to come away from a mindset where you felt so worthless. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? Absolutely. And I'm like, it's, it's just so interesting when I talk about this because I've completely processed it yet. My body now I feel safe, by the way, and, and calm, but like I'm so, like the adrenaline, like your body never forgets. So even all the work I have done and the tears came, obviously you saw that because I I didn't stop to think what I'd really been through. Like after I came out of it, I was like, right, that happened. Don't really want to think about it. Don't really want to talk about it. Let's just focus on rebuilding my life and then feeling I felt so much guilt for the way I'd left my, like I had a lot of guilt and all of that. And I had the eating disorder as I had a lot to distract me from actually processing it. So I started off getting help. I didn't even go to therapy after this abusive relationship. I just went into another eating disorder. So it's only in the past five years that I've even spoke about this and processed this. And I like, you know, a few years after the abuse and I got out of that, my sister like, did pat me on the back because I was like choking on something like not seriously but and she she hit me on the back and then that sent my body into and then I was just like in a state and she was like oh my god I'm so sorry and I was like I don't even know what's happening I think my body's just it was the hit it was the way it was just the, the impact and so it wasn't until five years ago when I started getting help with my eating disorder that this relationship came up in conversation obviously and I I I had avoided it. I hadn't really sat and thought what had happened to me because I had a lot of shame around it. How the hell could I let myself get into that? How could I also go back? Like, really? So I had a lot of shame around what I put myself through, what I put my family through, what I'd experienced, like talking about the abuse and, and the rape and all of that. It was almost like, if I don't talk about it, I won't be associated. It didn't happen because that was a way to protect myself. And then even when I did acknowledge that it happened, for some reason, my mind would be like, yeah, but people have had way worse. So I had this weird thing of like taking up space to share my trauma and what happened to me, even as if I wasn't worthy to share that because people have it worse. So it's just took a lot of personal development and self-reflection a shit ton of self-compassion and kindness to myself and forgiveness to myself. It wasn't until two years ago only I was in a group coaching container because I'm always investing in myself with, with coaches, mentors, programs. And we did this ritual of like forgiveness. And I was like, I don't need to, I don't think I need to forgive anyone for anything. So I've done a lot of personal development. I've forgiven him. I've forgiven. And you know, the one person I'd forgot to forgive yourself myself and I remember writing it think and then crying thinking 
why am I not over this already? There was a part of me that I was just like, just get over it for goodness sake. Stop bringing it up. Just get over it. You're safe now. But I hadn't forgiven myself for letting me get in the situation, but I knew no better. I was doing the best with what I could. Yes, I was shallow. Yes, I was probably a gold digger at some point, like all of those things, which again, I was ashamed to to identify with, but I was. Those were the things that attracted me to and wanted to be taken care of. Didn't know how to take care of myself. The biggest lesson, I would say there's three massive lessons that he has taught me or that relationship has taught me. Number one, unconsciously, my whole entire life, I was waiting for a man on a white horse to come and save me. Even in terms of people, when I was being abused, when I was screaming, when I got hit and his brother was in the back, I was waiting for someone to save me. Turns out you can only save yourself. And once I got over that and felt all the not fairness and like anger of what that means, what do you mean no one's coming to save me? Once I made peace with that and then saved myself, that was the biggest lesson I've ever learned. It's not like a, oh, I'll always be alone. No, it's it's not that feeling. It's it's because we have relationships for a reason. We have loving relationships and they're such a gift. Mm. But truly, only we can save ourselves and do the action and and go for what we want. It's only us that can do that. Mm-hmm. So he taught me that. Number two, compassion for people who are going through stuff. That Like one of the questions I think you wrote down was, what did people think of my relationship? Well, people that didn't know us, we'd go to the sunbed. We would go out for meals, would go on holidays. They thought what a perfect relationship, they don't work, they've got all this money, they're so happy, oh my God, if only they knew. Nobody had a clue, right? My family knew, but the whole outside world, and I remember I remember thinking, you don't have a clue, and I remember thinking, I wish you could also help me, but I can't share anything. Yeah. You know, so com- he taught me compassion, compassion for myself, compassion for him because I mean what type what has he been through to react like that as a human Mm. and then the third thing was to absolutely not take any shit from anyone ever again so I no one tells me what to do like I guess I am kind of over compensating for this nobody tells me what to do not even myself and that used to be a trigger now I say it from a place of love and boundaries, like no, no, nobody's telling me what to do. It used to be like an overreaction. But now, having been through what I've been through, there's absolutely nothing. I've not experienced the death of a parent yet, though. There's nothing that can hurt me more. Nothing. I've been emotionally abused, physically abused, sexually abused. Bring it the fuck on. Like I know that I sound like quite angry when I say that, but literally try me because nothing can compete with that. And so gives me so much like strength and empowerment to go after what I want, because what can be worse than that? And now I know how to set a boundary because I get to say no. That's very safe and it feels very safe and secure for me. So yeah, nobody nobody tells me what to do and I get to decide and I know I can walk away. And so freedom is my top value in every regard around food because of the diets I've been on for my whole life, especially around my choices. I'm such a free spirit. I think I was before I even met him, but he has just cemented the fact that the biggest thing that me, the the most important thing in my life is freedom. Mm. And that will always come first. What was it like? getting into a new relationship was it was it hard to trust again I had a lot of I say issues I did have issues but they didn't show up until I felt loved because before it was interesting before I met the guy this abusive guy in relationships when I was younger I would be the person who was loved the most so I wanted to be in control, and I didn't realize this at the time, if I was with someone who they loved me more, 
I was then safe and I wouldn't get hurt. And I didn't realize that this was a pattern of mine. I would always have boyfriends who were in quotes out of, I was out of their league in quotes, like from their, what their friends would say. And I didn't realize that I was choosing men that weren't in alignment with what I truly wanted in every regard, because if they really wanted me, they wouldn't leave me and I wouldn't get hurt. And that's, you know, no blame here, but my mum broke up with my dad and she'd like split with him a few times before she left fully. My aunties, every single, every single person that I know has divorced and everyone in my family has been married at least twice and broke up. And so I've had no, I've had a role model of, of people staying together. And so I thought if I chose someone who wanted me more than me, it was safe. And so then I met the abusive guy. I mean, I don't even know what that was. There wasn't a relationship, whatever that was. After that, I then chose really safe men, of which makes sense, right? So before I met Bouter, I had like two other serious boyfriends because I met Bouter when I was 30. I left this guy when I was 24. And I had some really safe men. The first man to be nice to me, I was like, oh my God, he's being nice to me. And so I just took that as love because it just felt so nice for a man to respect me and to treat me well. And then I also was engaged to this really sweet guy called Josh, such a sweet guy, did nothing wrong. We even got wedding invitations sent out and everything. And my heart was just like, he's not the one, sweetheart is not the one. Like he's given you so much and you needed to be in this relationship. And, you know, I taught him a lot too. It's not just, you know, everything happens for a reason, but he's not the one. And so that was one of the hardest things I had to do is break up with him, knowing that he's not, he's just the sweetest guy. I would have been very happy, but from the experience I'd learned from the abusive guy to go for what I want and to never settle and to never do anything I'm not sure about. I then left and then met Valter when I was 30 in Egypt. And how we met was just like written in the stars. And I knew it's like, sounds like something in movies. I kind of knew he was really special when I first met him. But then I had the unworthiness wound. And the amount of times I've tried to self-sabotage this relationship without realizing it because it was too good to be true. I'd, I wouldn't even consciously be aware of it. Like it would be so perfect. I had a fear of, of this can't be right because I can't be this happy because people split up and men betray you and they hurt you in some way. And so the amount of times I've like unconsciously tried to cause a problem and Valter's just like been the perfect loving mirror and just loved me and accepted me in every way he helped me to love and accept myself. He couldn't do it for me, but he created that space of, I love you when you're like in the eating disorder and you're tiny and you're doing fitness modeling. I love you when you binge eating and you pile the weight on and you hate, like he just loves me through everything. It kind of made me question if someone can love me that way, maybe I can love myself that way. I don't know how, but maybe it's possible. And so- I've had ups and downs, but it's helped me to heal. And now I know I'm worthy of love. Everyone is. But there's a difference between intellectually knowing that and truly feeling it for yourself. And it's it's everything to do with the growth that I've just gone through myself. All of it. There's not one thing. It's just choosing me, going after what I want, giving myself love and compassion and working through my trauma. And over time, when you feel self-love, there's no going back. Our birthright. I mean, there's not a dry eye in the house right now. Um, <laughs> but with what you said as well in the, I just want to be over it now. And what you've just said there in that you can't rush trauma. No. You know, you like you said, the body's going to keep hold of that. You can't rush it. It's going to take time. And it sounds like the amount of work and self-compassion that you've, you've, been through and and have for yourself it's not just a quick fix as you're saying but what I I think I mean your message and your story is no doubt gonna help so many people out there what advice would you give to others who 
may think that their friend or a loved one is suffering an abusive relationship because you you mentioned before about that isolation and that awful letter that happened and that kind of forcing everyone out of the inner circle for the person being abused what about someone from the outside what what would you advise that they do if they've got an inkling that there is abuse going on yeah don't give up on the person take care of you because it's important that we don't give everything to the other person in order to help them but don't take no for an answer in terms of leaving them alone like of course respect their boundaries if they're in danger if you are seeing them if you are seeing them and that person's a partner is like not accepting that let them know that you are there for them no matter what even if you're messaging them and they don't reply keep messaging them like once a week a few every few days I'm thinking of you I'm here for you even if you get no response take yourself out of the equation it's not about you it's about this person who you love, who is being abused and who isn't themselves and who's being manipulated. And when at the right time for them, and hopefully that will come soon, they know that they have you. So don't take anything personally. The things that that I, this person would message to my friends, in quotes, thinking it, they, my friends thought it was me, he would be messaging my friends saying no. So it wasn't even me that was responding to my friends and they thought I were was. So just all I can say is make sure you show that you love them and you're there for them in every way possible. That's, that's all you can do. You can try, if you are in contact with them, you can try and talk them out of it. It won't really make a difference. What will make a difference is knowing that you're there for them when the time comes. I think this has been by far one of the most emotional episodes yeah. we've ever had. And I really want to thank you for being so honest and open because it's been, mm. um, you know, to to truly walk, you know, and understand what you went through has been incredibly powerful. We offer all of our guests um, the opportunity for a final sip, which is your chance to uh, leave your leave your mark on our listeners and what you want people to know from this episode so I'm going to pass the floor over before I cry all over my microphone again <laughs> thank you what do I want to say if you're listening to this and you're in an abusive relationship I know how you feel not exactly how you feel but I can resonate with how you feel Know that no matter how alone you feel, you're not alone. Even if you don't have family like I did, I had my mom to, to support me. There are some incredible charities and there's some incredible support out there that is only a phone call away. So you feel isolated, you feel scared, you're fearful of your life. But what life have you actually got now? There is, a, there, there is a part to this where you do have to make that courageous choice and pick up that phone, reach out to somebody when you're fearful of your life. And I'm not saying it's a choice of death or choosing to get help, but allow yourself to ponder that question. Like, are you really living? Would you want what you're going through for your daughter, son, friend, loved one? And if the answer is no, which I'm sure it is, you deserve more. There's so much more to life than what you think there is right now. I mean, even when I was in the abuse and I knew that I would choose death or leaving and I chose to try and leave, I could never in my wildest dreams think that I would have a life that I have right now. Never. And so... It's not even a case of, I mean, how do I get this out? There's so much more out there for you that you have no idea what is available for you. And all it takes is to make a courageous decision and get help and support and to just take that action to leave. And you'll never regret it because I'm here and so many other strong women like me are telling their story and we know how you feel, but you can do it you're not alone oh Vic. wow <laughs> Reach out to me as well like I mean that if anyone is listening 
my social media the links will be in in these show notes I really mean it please reach out to me you are worth my time you are worth my energy reach out to me and then I can support you just for free on message just so you know that you're not alone and I can help you make a plan of action or get support whatever just just it takes that one action but I really hope that I've managed to give hope and inspiration to those that have either left recently thankfully and they're trying to rebuild their life and they might feel the pull to go back don't do it it never ends well all those women that are in it and cannot see a way out I'm putting my hand up there's a way out there's a way out so find it and I think you offering to be the person that to, to save them because as you said the only person that can save you is yourself but you're there to help save them absolutely I I can't tell you how much that will mean to to people and to us as well to have you say that thank Thank you 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 really are a massive massive inspiration thank you truly thank you ladies (sighs) thank you do you want to close Katie or shall I (laughs) Well, I'll try. I'll try. You might have to take over midway. Um, Thank you, Vic, for sharing everything that you shared today. And thank you also for offering to help because, um, like Vicky says, I think that will mean an awful lot to an awful lot of people, not just women, but just an awful lot of people that may have uh, or may be suffering. So thank you. And um, I don't normally finish the show crying. So I'm sorry about this, everyone. But thank you so much for listening to such an important episode. Uh, the messages that we've shared today have obviously been incredibly important. And if you feel that there's someone out there that you fear for, please, if you're not sure what to do, reach out. I'm sure Vic will be happy to to talk yes. about this in, in more detail. Um, but if you have, um, I'm, I suppose, enjoyed the show is probably the wrong word. But, um, you know, we do make these shows because it's important to talk about these topics. And if you do like what you've heard um, on these shows, please uh, check out our Support Us page uh, where you can buy us a coffee or a tea. But thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Please listen to the other episodes that we have available on Spotify. Um, don't cry on all of them. Um, <laughs> but thank you, Vic, once again for your time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye.